Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 as we're going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the theme of the book for us is the body life. The body life, you being a part of the whole body of Christ. And we're going to look at verses 17 through 19 this morning. And it's the walk of the unbeliever. The walk of the unbeliever, or you could say it, the way the unbeliever walks in life. The unbeliever, the the non-Christian, unredeemed, however you want to label it. When a person believes and confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord, the result is salvation. He or she is born again. And a transformation takes place in their basic nature. Now, salvation isn't improving or perfecting on what you were before. We see that every year at New Year's Eve. <clears throat> all the changes that are going to go out, all the, you know, the, the new things I'm going to do, and, um, you know, and just, I'm, I'm going to quit doing this, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do that, I'm going to start up this, and it lasts about a week or two, and it's gone. Because it's something that's not in our power, you know, and, and, and we give up so easily. And again, when God changes a life, it's not self-improvement, it's not perfecting oneself. It's something that God does, and that's why it lasts, and that's why it happens. The New Testament says, as the result of the new birth, is that a person becomes a new creation. Old things have passed away, Paul said. Behold, all things have become new. They don't get something new. They become somebody new. It's a creative act of God. It's not a self-work of man. It's nothing that man does to improve himself. It's someone with a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, new insight, new understanding, new righteousness, a new love, a new desire, a new citizenship. And it's a lot of other things. They all come under the heading of the newness of life. The newness of life. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, the life that I am now living, now that I have died in my flesh with Christ, I'm no longer the one who's living. It's Christ living in me or through me. The one who gave him life for me. So if that's the case, then why do we sin after becoming Christians? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, verses 17 and 18 and verse 20. He says, it's no longer I who do it, that is the sin, but sin that dwells in me. He says, I know, he says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in this body, nothing good dwells. Now, we don't like to hear that because we all think we're good. For to will is present with me. In other words, I, I have the will. I want to do what's right. 
Paul says, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. He says, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, the, the power to do that. I just don't have it. I want to do right. I know what's right to do, <clears throat> but I, I don't do it. That's because sin is still embedded in the flesh. Sin is still embedded in these bodies so that we're held back from being able to completely and perfectly manifest the new nature. We will not manifest the new nature of Christ until we are with Christ. That is, when we leave these old tents, these bodies, and we have our new body in Christ, then we will experience perfect salvation. Having the fullness of the divine nature without the corruption of our undeemed, that is glorified, glorified, glorified flesh, is still to come. And again, that's yet future. The believer has a whole, as a whole is transformed, but they're not, perfectly, they're not perfect yet. As a whole, they're transformed, but not yet totally perfect. He still has, she still has inborn natural sin, but not controlling sin. Paul said, for sin shall not have dominion over you as a believer because of the power of Christ in you. He's no longer the corrupted old man that he used to be. But now he's the new created man, created in righteousness and holiness, in Christ's righteousness and holiness, waiting for total salvation when the Lord takes me home. In verses 17 through 19 here, Paul compares the walk of the wicked unbeliever with the walk of the spiritual Christian. And he shows us the Christian's right response to being a new creation. All of this points to the truth that a changed nature becomes a changed way of living. Because God has created an amazing new body in the world called the church. That is you. With the rest of the church of Jesus Christ. We are the body, His body. And, 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 and we're unique because of our creation. We have a unique character of humility because of Christ. And we're empowered with spiritual gifts. It's unity as the body of Christ and it's need to be built up in love. Here's how every believer should live as a member of that church, that body. So in the rest of the chapter, Paul moves from the general to the specific. But first, he gives four character traits of the walk of the old man. And when I say old man, I'm not talking about old in years or age. I'm talking about the old man, the, old, the, the man they used to be, the old nature, the old uh, uh, person. So he's going to give four character traits of the, of the walk of the old man and then four traits of the walk of the new man. But we'll see those four traits next Sunday. So we're going to do the, the four traits of the unbeliever today and then the, the, the traits of the new believer uh, next week. So let's begin with uh, verses 17 through 19 here in chapter 4. And we see that Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, <clears throat> those are not 
Those are, those are some pretty unkind words that are being said there. Pretty harsh. And so, you know, if it rubs you the wrong way, remember, this is God speaking to you. It's coming from God's word. And God doesn't, you know, he doesn't mince words. He's going to tell us exactly what we need to hear. This is the walk of the, of the, of the person that doesn't know Christ. The old person, the old you. The word, therefore refers back to what Paul was saying about our high calling in Jesus Christ. We are to walk the high calling. Why? Because we're saved. Unified in the body of Christ. We've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit and we've been built up by gifted men. And we saw those gifted men last week that were mentioned. So we should, Paul said, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. We can't do the work of Christ if we're still living the way the world lives. And the word Gentiles refers to all non-Jews and religiously to all pagans. Based on what we are in Christ and everything God has planned for us now, because we're His redeemed and dearly beloved children, we are to be totally different from the rest of the world. But that doesn't, but, but you know, that the rest of the world that doesn't know Him. So we are to be different from the rest of the world that doesn't know him. Spiritually speaking, we've already left the world. And now we're citizens of heaven. We are in the world, but we're not of it. Jesus said of his disciples in John 17, 16, they are not of the world. This is not our home. This is not our, our playground. It's the devil's playground. This is a battlefield for Christians. And this means that his followers belong to a different kingdom. And they have a different purpose in the world that's under the influence of sin and Satan. We're not to love the world or the things in the world because the world's values are wrong. Their motives are wrong. Their goals are wrong. Its ways are sinful, deceitful, corrupt, empty, and destructive. So Paul's warning to us wasn't from his own personal righteousness or choices. This wasn't Paul's feelings or opinions or what he wanted to see happen. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. In other words, Paul says, with the Lord's authority, I am saying this. These aren't my words. This is coming from the Lord. The matter of forsaking sin and following righteousness isn't some impulsive <clears throat> and self-righteous idea of some narrow-minded preachers and teachers. It's God's standards. It's His holy standard for those who belong to Him. It's the very heart of the gospel, and Paul clearly shows us the difference in the standards of the unredeemed, the unsaved. And Paul gives us four particular traits of the ungodly, that is, those that are not born again, a pagan lifestyle that believers are to leave behind when they get saved. They're not to have any part of it. First of all, the worldly life is hopelessly confused. The worldly life is hopelessly confused. The first trait of unsaved people is there in verse 17. They live in the futility of their mind. They live in the futility of their mind. 
And it's important to know that the basic concern of which a way a person lives centers in their mind. The way you think, which is your standards, the way you think is the way you live. But does your standards match up with the Word of God? Are your standards God's standards? Paul continues to speak about understanding and ignorance in verse 18. He speaks about learning and teaching in verses 20 and 21, and the mind and truth in verse 23 and 24. All of those having to do with the mind. Because unbelievers and Christians think differently. And because uh, unbelievers and Christians think differently, they are to act differently. There is to be a distinct difference. And when it comes to, to spiritual and moral matters, an unbeliever can't think straight. His reasoning in those areas are so distorted and hopeless. And that's because man's sinfulness comes from his degenerate mind. And remember, these are the words that that God uses in Scripture. It's because of his degenerate mind. So the transformation has to start with the mind. Verse 23 says, "Be be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul said in Romans 12, 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, our thinking has to change. Christianity is knowing first, then then it's experienced. It's knowing first, and then it's experienced. It's our thinking that makes us think about the gospel. It's our thinking that causes us to believe the facts and spiritual truths of the gospel to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why the first step in repentance, the first step to becoming a believer is a change of mind about yourself. And you know what? To change your mind about yourself, you have to be honest. You have to agree to some things that God says that you don't like because I like me. I like who I am. I like myself. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. There's some things that, that I don't like. Remember the psalmist said, Lord, search me, search my heart, show me my my anxieties, my thoughts, show me any way that's displeasing to you that I may change that. He says, search me, show me the things in my life, God, that you don't like. That's hard because there's a lot of things in my life that I like, that I want to do, that my Lord may not want me to do and are most likely not good for me so the first step again in repentance is a change of mind about yourself about your spiritual condition and about god spiritually speaking paul says the way the natural mind works is useless and unfruitful the unsaved mind the natural mind its works are useless and unfruitful notice the word futility there in verse 17 The word futility refers to that which fails to produce the desired result, that which never succeeds. The word futility was used to mean empty because it amounts to nothing. The spiritual thinking and following lifestyle of the Gentiles, that is those who don't know God, they represent all the ungodly. And that life was totally empty, hopeless, and had no substance. 
The life of an unbeliever is wrapped up in thinking and acting in matters that are basically unimportant. He occupies himself in pursuing only fleshly goals, selfish goals, and in accumulating things that are temporary, and in looking for satisfaction in things that are basically deceptive and disappointing. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and the toys. Our toys, our treasures, our possessions. Don't lay up those things on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up your treasures for yourselves, that is, spiritual treasures, in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, if my joy and my heart are wrapped up in my, my earthly treasures, my possessions, you know, and again, they can be stolen, they can, the moth can eat them, and, and yeah, hey, every, what, every month we have something going out on the yard in the yard sale, you know, something that we treasured two months ago, I don't like it anymore, it's going out in the yard sale. That's because they're earthly treasures, and, and they're temporary. And Jesus says, if those are your joys, or your joy is, they can be taken, and there goes your joy. But he says those heavenly things, those heavenly possessions, store them up those, at those treasures in heaven. They can't be taken. Therefore, your joy can't be taken from you. The unbeliever plans and determines everything based on his own thinking. And we see where man's thinking has gotten us today. Just look around out there. The unbeliever, his plans, and, and he plans and determines everything based on his own thinking. He becomes his own and only authority. He follows his own thinking to the very end, which is uselessness, aimlessness, and meaninglessness. It's of the self-centered emptiness that describes the day that we live in. Solomon was the wisest, wealthiest, and most favored man of the old world. And Solomon experienced everything in life. Every worldly experience. Every pleasure, every benefit that a man could experience. And at the end of his life, this is what he said. Worldly life was vanity and grasping for the wind. Everything that he experienced, he said it was vanity, it was nothing. It was like trying to grab a hold of the wind. Yet century after century, people keep on chasing after the same empty goals in the same empty ways and in the same empty places and in the same empty things. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. All you people who are thirsty, come. Here is water for you to drink. Don't worry if you have no money. Come, eat and drink until you are full. You don't need money. The milk and the wine are free. Why waste your money on something that is not real food? Why should you work for something that does not really satisfy you? Listen closely to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the food that, that satisfies your soul. God said, hey, you know, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry for the things that mean something. He says, come. Twice he gives the invitation to come. He says, you don't need money for this. You don't have to pay for what I have to give you. God says, why waste your money on something that's not real? Why should you work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? He says, listen closely to me. 
and you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the food that satisfies your soul. What he's telling us is happiness can't be found. Can't be found. It can't be had by chasing after it. Happiness is a byproduct of a relationship with God. Your happiness many times is caused by looking in all the wrong places. Looking at things that never truly satisfy. No person, place, or thing can ever truly make you happy. The second thing that we see of the the person uh, of the world, the walk of the ungodly, ignorance of God's truth. This is the second trait of ungodly people. It's the lack of the knowledge of God's word. Their thinking is not only futile, but it's spiritually in the dark. Verse 18 says, notice, their understanding is darkened. Why is their understanding darkened? Because it's excluded from the life of God. God is light. You remove the light from your life, you're in the dark. It's because of their ignorance and because of the hardness of their heart. Education is emphasized today probably more than ever before because of the technological age that we're living in. And many so-called educated people say Christianity is for the uneducated. I'm not putting down education by any means, so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. When I say education, it's emphasized probably because of the technological age we live in. Both of my girls have degrees, college degrees, so again, we wanted them to get education. But education today by many people are being made their God. I know it all. I'm smart. I'm educated. It's the opposite. Steve Carlson said, education does not guarantee wisdom or success, but a crutch to depend on yourself. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 99 and 100. He said, yes, I have more insight than my teachers because I am always thinking of your laws. I, even, I am even wiser than my elders because I have kept your commandments. The psalmist says, hey, I have more insight than my teachers. Why? Because he knew the word of God. He says, hey, I am even wiser than my elders. And in these days, the elders were known as the smarter, the intellect, because they knew about life. They lived longer. But the psalmist says, hey, I have more insight than my teachers, and I'm wiser than my elders. Why? Because I know God's word. Someone said, you can't claim to be educated if you don't know what the Bible says. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. Oh, people read books and books and books and they claim to know everything. And a lot of them talk about religion and what, what it is. I said, well, have you read the Bible? I mean, oh, no, I, I, I don't read the Bible. Well, you're not very educated then. Remember back when Obama was running for president and he was trying to explain to the news why he was having a hard time winning over the working class people, the working class voters in the Midwest. He said, well, you know, they've become frustrated with economic conditions. He said, so it's not surprising that they get bitter and they cling to their guns or religion. We're bitter, we're uneducated, we hold on to our religion, our guns. And the educated, they look at being uneducated as worse than being sinful. 
And yet Paul's point here is that spiritual ignorance and sin always go together. Paul says, speaking of the ungodly in 2 Timothy 3, 7, men are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is so true. Always learning. Always becoming higher and higher educations. But they don't know the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the truth. Paul, speaking again of the ungodly, said men are always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The fallen human race can't know, and they can't understand the things of God, which are the only things that are really worth knowing. Paul said that when men rejected God, they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And, you know, if you ever heard somebody explain what they think God is like, you come up with... I remember one lady years ago, if I am, she, she said, well, 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 God is Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> that was her, I mean, again, what are you going to come up with when you deny him? They began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds become dark and confused. Romans 121. Intellectual futility and foolishness are joined together as part of sin's consequence. The Greek word behind, uh, be, uh, behind the word darkened in verse 18, it speaks of a continuing condition of spiritual darkness. This darkness suggests ignorance and immorality. And hearts were darkened is joined with exclusion from the life of God in John chapter 1 verse 5. The man, Christ came as light and they rejected the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The cause of their darkness, ignorance and separation from God. It's the hardness of their heart. It's their willful choice to stay in sin. And when men and women choose to reject God, he sovereignly And in judgment, he decides to blind their minds, exclude them from his presence, and strengthen them in their spiritual ignorance. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 and verse 24, he said, although they knew God, he says, these people knew God that he was talking about. They knew God, but they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And professing to be wise, and that's all they can do is profess to be wise, they became fools. So God also gave them up. Notice, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He gave them up. God doesn't, dis- doesn't, doesn't reward disobedience. He, he lets go. He says, is this what you want to do? You want to, you want to reject what I have to offer you? You want to, you want to do it? Go for it. And the worst thing God can do is, is let you have what you want. Worst judgment. Because of the hardness of their heart, the ungodly can't respond to truth. The person who is spiritually dead in their sins cannot hear or understand the things of God no matter how loud or clearly they may be declared or proven to him. 
It's like the saying, hey, don't give me the facts. I've already made up my mind. Don't tell me the facts. Don't confuse me with facts. I've already made up my mind. Blindness in verse 18. Blindness in verse 18 speaks of hardness. Blindness carries the idea of being rock hard. It was used by doctors to describe the calcification that forms around broken bones and becomes harder than the bone itself. Sin hardens. And the heart of the person who continually chooses sin becomes hardened against spiritual truth, totally insensitive to the things of God. When men continue to follow their own way, they'll also eventually be strengthened in their own choice by God. Remember Pharaoh and, and the battle with Pharaoh and Moses in Exodus about letting, his, about letting uh, God's people free and Moses sending the, the, the plagues? Every time Pharaoh said no, it says God hardened his heart. And it makes it look like, well, God was doing it, so you can't blame, blame Pharaoh for hardening his heart. No. What it means when it says God hardened his heart, he allowed Pharaoh to have that hard heart. That's what he wanted. And he did it again. Each time Moses, each time Pharaoh said no to God, it hardened his heart more and more and more. And that's what happens when you say no to God. First, maybe you're, you're sensitive to the things of God and, and you have some conviction and you don't feel good about it. But each time you do it, guess what? You lose more and more of that conviction and that sensitivity until you become hard-hearted and you don't care anymore. That's what happens. That's the awful thing about unbelief. The sad thing about the person who makes him or herself their own God. The third thing, the third trait of the unsaved person is spiritual and moral coldness. They become spiritually and morally insensitive. They become cold-hearted and callous. Look at verse 19. What does it say? They become, they're, they're being past feeling. There's no feeling anymore. They're hard. They don't care anymore about right or wrong. When people continue in their life of sin and they turn away from the life of God, they become unconcerned, insensitive about moral and spiritual things. They reject all standards of morality and they don't care about the cost of their sinful thoughts and behavior. Even the sense of right and wrong becomes hardened to the point that it's not sensitive. They're not sensitive to right and wrong anymore. And it results in a depraved mind. Depraved mind. Worthless, self-centered thinking, ignorance of the truth, and spiritual and moral coldness surely lead to sensuality and a life of every kind of impurity with greediness. Notice lewdness in verse 19, meaning sensuality. Lewdness refers to total decadence. There's no limits, no moral restraint at all, especially in the area of sexual sins. The idea is uncontrolled self-indulgence and undisciplined immorality. This is lewdness. Most people at first recognize at least some standard of right and wrong. They have a certain sense of guilt and shame when they break that standard. And when they do, they usually try to cover it up. You know, they try to cover up their wrongdoing. They're ashamed. They don't want anybody to know. And they may continue, you know, continue to fall back into that sin still recognizing it's wrong, something that they shouldn't do. And their conscience won't let them stay comfortable. 
But as I said a minute ago, as they keep on overruling their conscience and they train themselves to continue to do wrong and to ignore the guilt, pretty soon they reject those standards. And they choose to live totally by their own desires. And when they do, they're showing an already seared conscience, a calloused conscience, past feeling. Having rejected all of God's guidelines and protections, they become depraved in their mind and they give themselves over to sensuality. This person does not care about what other people think anymore. They don't care about what God thinks anymore. All they care about is what satisfies their cravings of their own perverted mind. Ungodliness with its immorality destroys the mind and the conscience and the spirit. Rejecting God and his truth and his righteousness, it will finally result in what Paul refers to in Romans 1.28 as a depraved mind. A depraved mind is a mind that's no mind. It's a mind that can't reason. It's a mind that can't think clearly. It's a mind that can't recognize or understand God's truth and loses contact with spiritual reality. And sometimes the depraved mind loses contact with all reality. We've seen a lot of that in the streets today. A lot of those people out there, they've, they, they're lost, they've lost contact with all reality. Man is made for God. You were made for God. And you were designed to function according to His standards. John said in Revelation 4.11, You, speaking of God, you made all things. Everything existed and was made because you wanted it. You were created for God. He wanted you. He wants you. But He's also created a standard for you to live by. When man rejects God and His standards, he destroys himself as a result. And the reason our society is so messed up, is so wicked, is because of the choices they made based on principles that are specifically and purposely made against God and His ways. Sexual perversions of all kind, child molestation, abortion, senseless murder, lying, cheating, and every other kind of moral breakdown have become shameless and calloused ways of life through the conscious choices of those people who made them. And then he says in verse 19, notice, they do this to work all uncleanness. To work all cleanness. In other words, the ungodly person often, ma often makes his life of impurity. It's a kind of business. This is what they do. It's interesting that pornography and prostitution and every kind of impure form of entertainment is the biggest business in our country. And for the most part, most of it is out in the open. We see it paraded in the streets. There's no, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no conviction. It's no longer shameful. It's, it, and it's legally protected. Pornography and prostitution. And here's another interesting thing. Pornography is no longer enjoyed by the moral and the, uh, the immoral and depraved. A lot of it is now enjoyed by middle class people. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's estimated to be worth 97 billion globally. 
check this out. The United States alone generates between 12 and $14 billion a year. And here's the scary thing, parents. 9% of porn users in the United States are children under 12 years old. How many of them out there with their little cell phones and the internet and their computers and their tablets? And you have no idea what they're looking at. Uncleanness. Impurity. They always go together with greediness, verse 19 says. Greediness is uncontrolled covetousness, unrestrained lust for whatever's wanted. And it's all available out there today. Immorality has no part in love. And anything the sensual person does under the guise of caring and helpfulness is just a deception for their own gratification. The world of sensuality and impurity is the world of greediness. The person given over to godlessness and immorality greedily takes whatever he can from those around him. He values life only in material terms. Uses other people to his own advantage. Turns his back on God in order to satisfy his own wicked desires. And his greediness is the same as idolatry. When a person decides to do what's right in his own eyes, as the Bible says, he's going to think his own way, he's going to do his own thing his way, and he's going to pursue his own destiny. And, he, and when he does that, he cuts himself off from God. And when he does that, when he cuts himself off from God, he cuts himself off from truth and becomes spiritually blind and without moral standards. And without moral standards, immorality becomes a shameless and cold-hearted way of life. And as that life goes on, it destroys the mind's ability to tell the difference between good and evil, truth and false, reality from unreality. The godless life becomes the mindless, senseless life. And today we see that so clearly because today we call evil good and good evil. It's obvious out there. This way of life characterizes every unbeliever. It's the direction that every ungodly person is headed. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's today. It's here. In closing... Some people may not reach the extremes that Paul talks about in verses 17 through 19. Like I said, these are, these are, these are extreme conditions that we see the, believer, the unbeliever leaving, living because he doesn't know Christ. But again, some may not reach these extremes. And that would only be because of the protective grace of God. And because he showers his goodness and his righteousness on them even on the unrighteous. And because of the protecting fluence of the Holy Spirit and because of the church. You know, as I watch these, um, I'll close it with this, as we watch these, um, forgot to turn the news, the, the, when they're going in these stores and they're grabbing all that stuff out of 
Yes, and, and yeah, the flash mobs and the, um, oh, there's another, they're using another team. But anyway, when they're going there, busting up the stores and they're taking all this stuff. You know, they're going in there by dozens, not just like one or two, it's dozens, it's m- even more. They're doing it in broad daylight. They're doing it with people in the store. They don't care. They're not worried about a thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I was thinking, I was going, this is, if they do this now, they, they, we have the police department, though, you know, they, they really sometimes aren't able to get there fast enough or do anything at the moment. It's in broad daylight. There's people around. They see, this is, this is, was what I was like, is a, is a, is a picture of the pre-tribulation. Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, the restrainer now restrains all evil. So right now, these people are being restrained. Can you imagine when the church is gone, when it's raptured, and the restrainer has lifted his restraining hand? We're just getting a glimpse of what's going to be going on. You don't want to be here when that's going on. You don't want to be, as Paul describes here, the unbeliever and their character. You want to be saved. You want to be redeemed. You want to be born again. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your wonderful word. And Lord, there were some pretty tough things to hear, Father. But again, it's designed. God's word is designed to bring us to conviction. To show us what truth God has to say about who we are apart from God. It's not very nice things that we hear. Not very nice people that he's talking about. But it's truth when it comes to those who are apart from God. The Lord help us to desire the truth, but also apply the truth to our lives. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means that you are an unbeliever. And what Paul was describing here may speak of you. It may never reach that extreme, but nonetheless, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we're praying, if if God has spoken to you through the message and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, and you realize that you need Christ. You don't want your heart to become calloused. You don't want your thoughts to become futile. You don't want that insensitivity to the people around you and all you care about is yourself. But you want to be like Christ. You want to be caring and loving and live a, a holy life before God. You want your sins forgiven. As we're praying, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand up real quick and put it back down. Anybody at all? We'll just say a simple prayer of faith right where you are. Anybody want to receive Christ this morning? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, God. Lord, help us to Keep our eyes on you, Lord, to be fixed upon you, Lord. 
And Father, we thank you for the offering that we'll receive today, Father. As always, you take care of us. You provide for us, Lord. We never have to beg. We never have to advertise. You're, you're a, a mighty, awesome, and faithful God. So, Lord, we thank you so much. Bless our time. Bless the baptism, Lord. And um, may you be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.